0: Hi everybody and welcome to the latest edition of the WFI podcast. Tonight we're heading to Asia and and principally to India and joining us on the show tonight we have Sri Bala uh, who's in Madras in India and he's going to talk us through um, all the the key areas of the the two leagues that there are there and and hopefully we'll, we'll gain a bit of understanding. I think Armando Angulo who's with me as well tonight. Uh, we're a bit of a—it's a bit of a grey area, a bit of a mystery to us uh, about India. So, so first of all, you're very welcome on, on the WFI Pod Three. How are you?
2: Hey, Dave. Good morning to you. I've been waiting for this pod for a while, so let's get going. A bit nervous though. Ah,
0: oh, don't be nervous. Don't be nervous. You're amongst <laughs> friends. And and, and Mr. Hangulu, how are you this evening? All good with you, man?
2: Everything's good,
0: Dave. You know me, man. Indeed, lovely to have you both on. Anyway, listen, we're going to get you just jumped straight on into it. Uh, Shri, we have two Indian leagues. Um, you, you, you have two different leagues there. Maybe you could start by by giving us a bit of a brief on that and, and what that looks like and, and how the two leagues operate. And which maybe is is one higher than the other? Is is it a competition? Um, maybe you can inform the listeners a little bit about it.
2: Yeah. So if we could start the main actual. The traditional league in India is called the I-League, which was earlier called as the NFL, the National Football League, which became defunct and then uh, due to just lack of money. And then the I-League started, which which was touted to be a more professional, uh, in tune with the modern game. At least that's what it was proposed as. Uh, but s- sadly, most of the facilities and the infrastructure remain the same. Only the names changed. Maybe a few of the new clubs came in. But in terms of the structure of the league, it's been the same for last few years. Uh, no support, no infrastructure. Lit- literally very less crowds, ex- except few of the very new clubs who have their passionate supporters, in which we'll talk, obviously, later down the pot. So the I-League is the traditional league is still there and you won't believe uh, for a country of this mammoth size, the I-League just runs for five months in a year. We don't even start till January.
0: Sri, is that down to to lack of teams or or, or is there, what size are these leagues? You know, for for example, how many teams are in them?
2: Yeah, see, the problem is the teams keep, you supposedly have an I-League 2 where the relegated teams go down. But there is nothing certain fixed in I leagues. That is the problem. Some years, some teams say we'll participate. Sometimes they say we won't participate. We don't have funds. We don't have teams. Teams just get disbanded on its own every year. Like even this year, one of the most popular teams, Pune AFC, is threatening to disband its team just due to lack of support and the growth of this new league which has started last year. So there's nothing fixed. So we have around 100 matches in a year. That's what is the sin. like last year we started in January, post the Federation Cup, which is another local tournament here. So we start in January and we ended sometime in April May, and this, this, this was ensured to ensure that the two leagues don't clash, which will come to it. The contradiction between the two leagues we will touch upon later. So the teams just keep changing, and there are if you see traditionally. The superpowers are just the Moon Bagan, East Bengal are the two traditional big Calcutta based teams. Then you have a couple of teams from Goa, you have Salgaonkar, which is again gets disbanded. Sometimes they come back, that is that. Goa used to have two or three really good teams in Churchill Brothers, Dempo, and Salgaonkar FC, but uh, most of the clubs have shut down and they have passed on their whatever investment they had into the new. Like, for example, uh, Dempo, Dempo and Churchuk Brothers have come together at least to support the new ISL team. They have decided the money lies there because the support is also there. So, the money has gone there. So, teams just get disbanded randomly. That is the sad state of the I-League here.
1: Sri, if I can ask you, these stadiums seem to be rather large. Um, they range from about 10,000 to about... Uh, so all the way up to like 60, 60 plus thousand uh, that these teams play in, in this league. But it looks like average attendance is only around 5,000 per match. So can you explain to me why that is? Is it because ticket pricing is too high? Is it because the product isn't uh, appealing to the to the fan base? Or, or or why is it that the average attendance is so low?
2: I think you have to consider the big match is actually the biggest match in Indian football is actually the Calcutta Derby, the East Bengal versus Mohan Bagan. At least my father has been part of games. He used to reside in Calcutta. So the famous stadium, Salt Lake Stadium, unofficially is a, it has held a crowd of 100,000. So we are talking that numbers, there. And my father has been part of those games. So that is still a huge draw now. East Bengal Mohan Bagan is a huge draw. But for example, at least in Calcutta, you have two or three teams. Again, Goa, you have two or three teams. See, because the problem is the strength of football is concentrated in few states. In Northeast then you have west bengal and then you have goa a bit a bit in kerala so the strength is very concentrated so you have multiple teams from the same state and you have no teams from few of the states so that has been the problem which the isl the new league has tried to address it has spread the teams across the country so what has happened in this water support base is split because there is no real identity uh, only west bengal uh, i mean sorry east bengal and Mohan Bagan have clear identities in terms of supporters base and all, but the infrastructure is poor, the coverage is poor, and the quality of players also, what is happening is, in in search of success, the teams are going out and buying, like, not really high qualities, but some medium quality foreigners, thinking they will inject some some strength into the team, and short-term success, so the Indian players don't come through the system, because the foreigners are filling up quotas, so there are lots of problems, the supporters, see, the point is, it's a chicken and egg. You need a good product to sell. But how do you get a good product to reach the audience? You, there should be a medium of coverage. I think it's a chicken and uh, the media side is like the product needs to be good. The product is like whatever we have, you have to show and popularize it and create awareness so that people come in. So it's that debate is going on there. And ultimately, I don't see a resolution ever coming for I League. I'm not sure what's going to happen with the League at all. No, uh, Sri, uh,
0: for, for example, um, you know, we have spoken in these pods before with, with Robbie Blakely from, from from Rio de Janeiro here um, about the problems of, of uh, Brazilian football and the lack of attendance and, and people not getting paid and, and, and no players coming through and, and, and lower quality football. You know, you know, lower quality football and people on on lower type wages who just can't afford to go and pay the fees. What what kind of money in proportion to the to the earnings in India is an expensive uh, adventure for you to go to a match, or is it is is it a game for the people?
2: No, the tickets aren't expensive. It's just that the players don't uh, the fans don't want to go. There is uh, there see if you see the fan base for football, it's huge. India is one of the biggest markets for for something like your English premier league after uk and uh, southeast asia india is one of the biggest if not the biggest market so it is very clear the passion for football remains and in india it's not that india has no history in football if you take the early 50s uh, it was the, it's even now the called as golden age of football in 1950s when, see, see if you the jules rimet trophy started in 1950 so around that time the world cup wasn't as big as olympics olympics was Considered as a huge event and for 1950, uh, the Brazil Olympics, the Indian team actually qualified but couldn't make it because they were not allowed to play in barefoot and the Indian teams were used to playing in barefoot so they weren't allowed and even in the, sorry, not the 1950, I got it wrong, the 1948 Olympics, the Indians actually played against France and this, it was a really Carry even for France. And France just scraped through 2-1, if I remember. I'm not sure about the score yet. But in the 1948 London Olympics, the Indian teams played. So it's not that India has no history in football. The 1950s golden era was huge. And India, again, in the 1956 Olympics, India finished fourth. So there is a pedigree to the football. It's just nobody has tried to build on it. And it's there is nothing happening. Till 1960s, India used to be in the top 2-3 teams across Asia. And now... India, if you in in the qualifiers for the Olympics lost to Guam. I don't know if you people even know where Guam is. Maybe Armando might know. But I'm not sure. India lost to a team called Guam, which have hundred hundred thousand people.
1: Yeah, it's near Samoa.
2: Yeah. So they India lost to Guam. So you can imagine where we are now compared to the sixties. Sixties we were the top two, three teams in Asia.
1: Yeah, I wanted to ask about um the league and their success in the, uh, in the Asian Champions League. Uh, is the I-League, have they had success? Have those clubs had success in the, in the uh, AFC Champions League uh, to date? Have they ever won any? Um, or is it, is it that they are one of the teams such as, like in the Champions League in Europe, like the Dynamo Zagreb or something like that, that get in, but they're not really a factor.
2: So actually, if you see the Indian clubs participate in the AFC Cup, which is your Europa League, so, that is the level they participate. And it's not very common. Last few years, we have had teams like the new team, Bangalore FC, who are the defending champions, participate, but they got eliminated uh, right away. So it's it's a question of, again, like how it is in Europe. The teams are considering balancing the workload. The AFC Cup means at least eight matches in the group stage, I think. So that's they have to factor in it. See, what happens is the whole league is concised into five months. So the number of matches come very thick and fast. And the scheduling is like haywire. There is nothing fixed. If some other event comes, games get postponed. If the stadium needs to be used for some public event, games get postponed. And it's so anything and everything goes literally. The schedules are there. But if there is something coming up, the games get postponed. So the January to April is a tight schedule. And when you have an AFC Cup, also teams need to budget for that. So like, for example, Bangalore FC, though they didn't retain the championship, they are happy because they got to play in AFC Cup and they have found out their level they did okay ish there compared to what teams usually perform, but that is the level recent teams are participating, but they don 't progress that much at AFC nowadays
0: sure you know from what you 've been telling us here, the question that just jumps to my mind is you know you sound it sounds like a very chaotic season of, of, of mishmash of disorganization. How do these teams survive financially? Where does what, principally where does their funding come from, um, given this sort of chaos that, that, that
2: exists within the country? See the whole problem, and that lies therein lies the crux. If I would answer, see the footballing body in India is the AIFF, All India Footballing Federation, and majority of their fu- some of the funding comes from the government because it's a government body, but majority of the funds comes from this uh, group. Uh, combo of IMG and Reliance so IMG and Reliance have a tie up with AFF where they would fund but the problem is the ISL the new league is backed by IMG and Reliance so basically the AFF has to agree to what IMG and Reliance suggests because the funding comes from there so AFF also needs to ensure that the body keeps running and for that they need the money from IMG and Reliance and IMG and Reliance now want to push ISL and AFF literally have no choice but to agree Otherwise there's funding stops. See, there is no sponsorship. There's no you have team sponsorship, the big teams get back by for jersey kit sponsorship and all. But you don't have much of gate receipts you're talking. The tick the lock as Armando said, the crowds are less. The tickets aren't costly either. The avenues of getting tickets means you need to go to stadium to get tickets, which is again a problem. Though Bangalore FC has started innovative methods like selling tickets in coffee cafes, availability online, etc. So, Bangalore FC is an exception, uh, they get huge crowds, they are, they are one of the most professionally run clubs, though they are in existence for two years only. But there's a sea change between how Bangalore FC operate and how the other clubs operate. There, there is a lack of recognition, in fact, saying something needs to change. Some teams are happy being how they are, rather than improving, and that is a serious problem.
0: Well, you, d do you have any TV deals out there? You know, do, do, is it televised within India? Um, is the product actually you know put out? Is, do the clubs get any money off off television rights or anything like that?
2: The I League does get televised, uh, but the matches are at uh, sometimes at five pm, six pm in the evening. So it's not only weekends. Most matches happen during weekdays. Also, sometimes not necessarily weekends. If there are games shifted, it happens during weekdays. The coverage is there, but the coverage quality isn't great either. And ultimately, see, even if you take cricket, which, which is huge now in India, cricket became a rage only in 90, after 1983, when India unexpectedly won the World Cup. You need some big event to happen for audiences to get attracted to a product. And again, we are talking the chicken and egg. There's expectation from audience for something to happen. While the footballers side and it's not like the footballers make very good money. Most footballers now play for both the I League and ISL. First year some of the clubs refused to release players to ISL because worrying about injury, they need to protect their future. But now they realize they are powerless to stop players. Players make really good money in ISL. And it is often if if you make really good money in ISL, you would want to ensure your fit and peak playing condition for ISL. So the money is there, but there is no money in I League. There's a TV deal there. But as I said, majority of the funding comes from this principal access of IMG relays. That's you know so interesting
0: as well. You know, I'm just curious: is there you've you've two different leagues leagues working there? Is would it not be of the benefit for 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 for, for both leagues to amalgamate and into one league and have a full proper season? Has has, not,
2: has that never been an option or anything that's been explored? Sri That's that's the. Ultimate long-term outlook of having one league. I don't think it's practical to run two leagues, especially when in a country like India, where you you don't get huge crowds for one of the leagues. See, the problem with the ISL is you don't know. It's been one year and the crowds have been huge. I'm not sure. I wrote a piece for WFI where I stated that the average attendance was the fourth highest across the world in a league. After the EPL... Uh, uh, la liga and bundesliga this was the fourth highest attended league on an average we had an average of around 25000 people so that's what the audience is there but they need to find a product which they take a liking to so the ultimate outlook is to have one league but they already have a contract which ensures that i league needs to be played for so many years and now they are force fitting the isl somewhere so isl happens this year is going to happen from october to december and then your I-League would immediately start from Jan to April. So, that's the schedule for this year. What it is for, for next year, you don't know. The ultimate long-term outlook is, though, to have one league. I'm not sure which is going to be the league which is going to be staying, though. Because, see, we aren't talking of a year full-year league and then another league for two months. One is for three months, one is for five months. Both are open. And also, the point is, the teams in both the leagues are totally different. Though the sponsors might be the same, the teams in both leagues are... Totally different. So, there needs to be an agreement coming for two leagues to decide which team stays. Because the I-League has its own backing in some areas. While the ISL has great backing, but it's only one year old. India had its first Grand Prix where the Formula 1 race, there were 85,000 people who turned up. Second year, half of them turned up. So, we don't know whether the ISL is a novelty effect or not, which we'll know maybe down the year, this year. And the ISL starts next month, we will know maybe that would be a better judgement call after the second year ends whether it's actually a long termism or it was just a novelty effect
0: no that's that's really good and so armando have you got anything else you want to add or or ask sri on this
1: yeah Actually, I do. Sri, what, what is the difference in financial backing then for the ISL? And I know that they're, like you said, they're drawing bigger crowds, but they also uh, seem to be investing more money in the players that they're bringing over. I know they're older, you know, statesmen in like the Premier League or or well-known names like, you know, Luis Garcia um, and Freddie Lundberg. Names along those lines are making the trip and playing for the ISL. So what's the difference financially and why are they able to uh, make these kind of moves as opposed to the I-League?
2: See, one you need to understand that the ISL is backed by IMG and Reliance, which are the two biggest bodies, and they have put their eggs into the ISL basket. Another thing, it's covered by the Star Group, which is the premier sports coverage television medium in India. The Star Star TV is the premier most prevalent mode of coverage and they have agreed to. It. So the coverage is there, the money is there. And for the first year, the teams have been owned by big celebrity pop, popular film actresses, film actors, actresses, and sports people own teams like uh, cricketers like Sachin Tendulkar owns the Kerala team. Uh, the Atletico de Kolkata is actually partly funded by Atletico Madrid and partly owned by Saurav Ganguly, who was the former Indian cricket captain. So the big names are associated with the project. While in I League, most cases it's just business groups which are associated with the teams. Most business groups own the I-League teams, and when your business is in problem, you would like to safeguard your primary earning mode, which is your business, rather than take care of your football team, which is a problem in, in business world. While well, f- this is backed by far more bigger celebrities, and the coverage promise is there, the funding promise is there. There's no wonder. that. And also, also we need to remember this league is just three months duration. So... Even if you are retired players, you can afford to come and play for a three-month period and earn money. Or if you're out of favour in your regular teams, you could do a loan deal and come and play uh, here. There are a lot of Brazilian players actually coming and uh, playing in the ISR. I don't know if, if Dave, you follow the Corinthians, but Medonza, who plays at Corinthians, actually plays for my local team, Chennai. We have even got him on loan for a second year now. So a lot of players choose to come and play because the money is good and the duration is just three months. I think that is the key. No,
0: and another key aspect as well, Shri, if they're being paid on time, as it says, another thing we've covered in this pod um, with with Robbie Blakely, um, the, the problem here in Brazil is that the salary doesn't arrive. Players aren't paid for two or three months. Uh, you, you know, we've explored the options of Brazilians maybe looking at, at the MLS in the future. Here we go. They've already arrived in India, and, and it just all adds to this 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 problem with finances here in Brazil and getting the players played on time. Or, <laughs> I nearly say that uh, <laughs> the the players paid on time. Um, you know, but I take it there's absolutely no problems with with salaries there in India.
2: Yeah, I think I think the major problem, at least before last year, ISL when teams started to spruce up, was the literal lack of infrastructure. Until 2010, India actually did, did not have a stadium which met the FIFA or international standards. They did not have a stadium which was approved by FIFA. Pitches were a problem, dressing rooms were a problem, amenities is literally non-existent or sub-standard if you could talk. Uh, the same football grounds get used for others, other sports or for political meetings or any grand event you want to host. The football stadiums double up, so the pitch gets damaged. So Again, the, if there's a game the next day, that gets pushed to next week because the stadium needs to be taken care of again. The problem is there's little football. I-League I football, at least, in, is in such a state that it gets compromised for every other event. It, it is nowhere close to the priority that, okay, this is a football stadium. Football matches need to be played here and this is for the Every stadium is multipurpose and and though it's a football stadium, football is the last in that purpose list. And that is a huge problem. Wow, and, and but
0: that, that's amazing, given what you know. You said about the, this sort of obsession with the English Premier League and whatnot. Um, that you know, football is so far down the list of actual played sports. Con, considering you know the way that you've painted the EPL to us, you know, in India, that it must have a huge following.
2: Yeah, see, the EPL has a huge following because it was covered well. Uh, which Armando asked first, up, how's the coverage? I think that is the key. The I League is not covered well. Or the timings aren't great in terms of coverage. Like the ISL starts a bit later. It starts around 7 o'clock in the night, which is a far more better time to watch football than at 4 p.m. Especially if you are playing on weekday. Nobody is going to watch it. Nobody is going to even turn up. That is a problem. It needs to be covered well. And I think ISL is... At least looking to adjust the foot See, if you consider Premier League, the great thing about Premier League is the suitability of timing. Most of the matches are prime time in the evening on the weekends. Like the early kick-off, which in the Premier League is around 5 p.m. in the evening here. So imagine Saturday evening, 5 p.m. you get a match. Even the late kick-off starts at 10 p.m. or 11 p.m. depending on the time zone, uh, daylight savings. Even the w- late kick-off on weekends start at 11. Only the mid-weeks are a problem. So it's prime-time football, and that's why the EPL is huge. And it's covered extensively by the star group. I wouldn't say the other leagues are covered as much as EPL, but the EPL is covered like crazy. You have you have even started getting cafes of English Premier League clubs in India where they screen games, pubs, bars, screen games. So there is an audience base, and people are flocking towards it. And I don't see anything of that sort for ISL. I've never seen anyone saying we are advertising ISL because they know nobody is going to turn up. Wow, that's
0: incredible. Uh, Armando, have you anything other to to, to ask Sri here before we move on to the next part
1: of the agenda? Uh, Yeah, I just have one more question uh, as far as both the leagues. And and you you said that a lot of Brazilians are starting to migrate over and and play, you know, on loan deals and get their feet wet out there in India. And I wanted to ask you, uh, how much of of those two leagues are really... uh, you know, homegrown players, Indian players, Asian players, and how much are, are how, what's the percentage of imports, and then what type of player are we talking about? Are we, are we talking about them going to Africa and, and finding players from Africa to bring over, or are we talking about, uh, you know, you said Brazil, but what, what is the main demographic out there for players?
2: See, at least for the ISL, you have a fixed limit. You, you need to have a fixed limit of uh, foreign players, in the team, and you need to have a fixed limit of Indians on the team, so that is fixed. So there is no compromise there. In terms of demographics, the I League usually used to have a lot of people from Africa. One of many common players hail from Africa. But in terms of uh, in terms of ISL, you need to remember, as I told, the period is October to December, so it's usually mid-season for every club everywhere across the uh, across the world there's a season going on except in india obviously because the indian main season starts in january as we discussed but it's mid season so nobody is going to release you players and it's not like they are going to play throughout the year that you you actually give them a contract so basically what we do is loan players from other clubs or even for indian players we loan them from i league so the isl players who are playing actually aren't owned by the teams they are on loan from other teams Either from abroad or even the Indian players are on loan from I-League teams. So in terms of demographics, we have big superstars and some of the well-known. Like for my local team Chennai FC, you might recognize this player Elano, who played for Man City. He is our marquee player. <coughs> my local team at least tends to have a lot of Brazilians and some of Italians because the coach is Marco Materazzi. So. If you ask about demographics, it goes by who who's coaching them and where do they have contacts. Zico coaches Goa, so Zico, so Goan team has a lot of like we had Andre Santos playing for FC Goa last year. So it depends upon the pull of the coach because the scouting isn't extensive in what you would call it. it basically, depends upon your coaching staff and their pull. So Roberto Carlos has come for Delhi, so they are going to use his contacts. So this year. John Andreza has signed for Delhi. So he's going to be playing there. So it basically depends on the pull of the staff members available and to find players. Because the players have also realised that the money is big and they have asked some atrocious contracts. At least first year. Last year when Del Piero came in, Del Piero was nowhere fit enough to even play. But they paid him a bumper contract. Lundberg was on huge contracts and he never was fit enough to play. We have had problems like the most of the, play- and so the clubs have got uh, more intelligent, if I would say, in terms of finding players who are fit enough to play. There was no point signing forty-year-old players who can't even put on boots and train and play. So they have identified players who could who could contribute actually. And one more interesting aspect, if I could highlight, is the tie-up between ISL and the. English Premier League. So, I'm not sure about his name. I was trying to remember his name. But one of West Brom's most promising academy player has actually signed up for the ISL, I think for Delhi Dynamos. It's part of the agreement between West, uh, EPL, West Brom, and the ISL, where young players, instead of playing in championship clubs or going out on loan or just sticking to under 21s level, just come to India and have an experience. So, that's something new I'm looking forward to this year sure you, you talk
0: about the, the, there's a lot of brazilians there is there an age range of them are, are they younger
2: brazilians or are they older the older brazilians Or is, is it a mixed bag really it's a mixed bag i wouldn't say it's many are young brazilians it's kind of medium range to older range like the star players obviously tend to be older around 28 29 elano is the elano is one of the biggest names actually in in the ISL in terms of Brazilians, we had Santos last year, I'm not sure if he's playing this year either. So, it usually tends to be around 26 or above. It's very rare that you get an active player who's a big player because the clubs wouldn't send him on loan otherwise. So you need either older players who aren't playing or you need players who aren't part of first-team plans in their club so that you could get them on loan. So, that is the kind of profile we are looking at because of the timing of the season. I think that's something they need to look at. It's going to be tougher to get players because the good players will obviously be wanted by their parent clubs and you won't get them on loan. No,
0: absolutely. You're 100% on that. But... but uh, moving along to, to to the to the home base players, you know how, how many Indian players would exist in, in the game, and, and and as you say, the move backward and forward between the leagues. But what's the standard of the Indian players, and and you know are they playing to a high level. Um, is 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 there any of them looking moves elsewhere? Is there anything moving in India?
2: So if you see our ranking is around 170, so you could see where we lie in terms of how good we were see the last real good international teams was around 2007 to 11 uh, if you could call in the recent age that that is what you would call as golden age of indian football it, like indian national team won the 2007 and 9 nehru cup tournaments india also won the afc challenge cup in the Indi- afc challenge cup in 2008 2011 afc asia cup indian team qualified so India was under Bob Horton, then an Englishman who was, who till date is one of the best performing coaches. But with in coaching in India, in most sports, who have no reason why they get appointed, and you are not surprised when they get sacked. Also, it's like it's it's a jolly go merry go round. Same coaches come go. Even at club levels, you get a coach taking over the same team for the fourth time or fifth time. It's just a jolly go merry go round which goes around. So that is the problem. But after two thousand eleven, it's been a constant slide now. Uh, there's no. Uh, we, even this year, we have lo- we lost to Iran last week, uh, 0-3. Uh, we lost to Guam, as I discussed. So, we have lost to Oman. We, literally, we have no points, I think, this year. So, that, that's that been a constant slide. In terms of players going abroad, it's not been successful. India's best player is their captain, uh, Sunil Chetri. So, a couple of years back, he actually went to Portugal. And there is a huge uh, excitement and hoopla about him going to Portugal and signing for the big teams. But ultimately, it ended up that he. A lot can happen in the next three years, like a chatbot, maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance, United Healthcare Tri-Term
0: medical plans are available for these changing times. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com
2: slash switch.
0: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com.
2: Played for the BT and didn't get enough appearance. So after one year, he was back. So that's the huge rate. But there have been, we have had a keeper who's gone to the Denmark Superliga and is part of the first team. So there are players going about, but it's very rare. You need to have a huge trial period. You need to have some sponsorship because the players don't have money to go there also. Let's not forget that they don't make huge money unless you are in ISL where you have started making money. And, uh, and even ISL works on a draft system. So you get what? Be- See, the high- ISL works on your auctioning process. So your salary gets fixed based on the Teams bidding for you, so that is that is the level we are talking about. So players making going abroad and actually making a name are literally you could count it with your fingers. Uh, there is very less. In fact, the import rate inside Indian football has been higher than people going out now. We have had more foreigners being part of I League than actually players making a mark, and that is a problem. The youth players aren't coming through the line because of the short term outlook of wanting to save their future. Clubs keep buying. Uh, mid-table level foreigners to just ensure they survive or they want to compete. So, there is, this academy line is literally non-existent. The youth, youth development is not exist. So, I, if I remember, till 2013, there was not age-based academies didn't exist, if, I, if I'm right. There was no age-grouping-based academy system till 2013. Uh, there's no... I don't recollect being an official youth league in India. I don't recollect having that. One of the teams which bagged youth team was Indian Arrows. But they shut up shop around two years ago because literally due to lack of sponsorship, no support. So in terms of youth development, there is nothing come through. You need players to come through. So if anybody comes through now, it is in spite of the system and not because of the system. No, That's, that's that, that fascinating stuff. Andrew, have you anything you want to add on, on
0: players there? Anything you, anything you want to ask Shree on the back of what he said?
1: No, I was just gonna ask him about the, the the youth development and stuff like that, but he touched on it at the end of his point there, so no, he covered all my points definitely
0: sure do, do you see um you know at the moment do, with, with the two leagues can, can, is there growth there um you know if i if i if I ask you to cast your mind uh five years into the future where, where do you where do you see Indian football? Is it an upward spiral is it going to be static or is it downward?
2: see the problem is with isl it's only been one year as i touched upon repeatedly the unless the second year comes you don't know whether the what we saw in terms of audience backing television viewership the viewership went crazy last year even in online so we need to know whether it was a novelty factor or actually there is a base i think without knowing that it's tough to even predict what's going to be but if if the second year is not even though if it not as big as the first year which is to be expected the novelty factor wearing off even if it's an average to decent success I think the ISL looks to be the future because the I-League is in such a bad state there is crazy fan base for Mohan Bagan, East Bengal but there is literally nothing happening at least in terms of ISL the teams seem spread like you have you have Chennai you have Bangalore you have Goa you have Calcutta you have the Northeast, you have Delhi you have Mumbai, you have Pune. You have teams spread across all four directions of the country. So, at least it's far more widespread. And teams are beginning to fold up in the I-League and preferring... Because the problem is, for example, FC Goa is backed by the Churchill brothers and Dempo. And their I-League teams have folded up or they are not interested in competing. And they are putting the same money which they invested in I-League into ISL because they see returns... Far more possible. So, in terms of business sense, ISL seems to make more sense. But there is, see, with AFF, it, the precedents don't change at all. The same management runs it for years. There is literally no planning because whatever you might plan, if IMG reliance one something that happens. So, there is no point in saying this is the future. Like Feb, Seb Blatter, when he came to India a few years ago, called it a sleeping giant. I'm not sure. I'm convinced about the sleeping part. But I'm not convinced yet about the giant part, and I, I, I think it's going to be status quo in term in terms of national team. I'm not sure the crowd. In fact, the last one which we lost to Iran, it was held at Bang Bangalore, and we had 20,000 plus crowd. So Indian national team has fervor. It depends upon whether you the on on field performance start needs to start picking up to sustain it. There is no point expecting crowds to when you lose every game. So there needs to be some change there. Either abandon everything, have a grassroots program, but I think it's asking too much because when you're talking about a fresh implementation from scratch, you're talking about huge expenditure in terms of both capital expenditure and revenue expenditure. And I don't think anybody is willing to wait. And the short-termism is what I think might ultimately kill the sport if we don't think about it. So uh,
0: really, at the end of the day, this, this uh, IPL—it's—it's it's really not helping your national team. It's really not—it's uh, not a springboard for 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 you know likes of Indian players and so on. They're more reliant on 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 the imports, so to speak. Um, so so does that have a detrimental effect and a knock-on effect then to your national
2: team? See, in terms of ISL, at least with ISL performances, we have unearthed few players. So there's no doubting the aspect that we have been able to identify few new prospects who weren't in the national team picture so that that's a given now the question is what happens when they progress to the national team there are two ways of looking at it were they so good in isl because they are actually good or were they so good in isl because they are helped by far more better teammates playing around them this the standard debate comes about even in European football. Are you good because of your teammates, or are you actually good? And that is something we need to wait and see. It's it's always easy if you're a midfielder, if you're a number ten, it's always great. If 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 you are making a forward pass or a through ball with someone like Nicholas Anelka, though he might not be in peak form approaching it, rather than some of your Indian strikers approaching it. I think in terms of at least strikers, uh, JJ. Who, is one, who was touted as one of the young prospects. His growth has stunted a bit because the national team performance has been fading. And you could argue it's a mixed bag with ISL. There is exposure for new players, but the experienced players, I'm not sure, have shown in terms of the national team performance that they have learned something from ISL. And I think that is that is the worry. New players are coming through, but the experienced players are beginning to stagnate a bit. While Sunil Chetri is a standout player, There's no doubt his performances have been great even for national team level. But in terms of other experienced players, it's a problem. They seem to be snagnating, but they're not getting dropped also. And even if they're getting dropped, the player circle is like a merry-go-round. Someone plays this game, someone plays next game. There's no clear-cut thinking. I think the uh, blueprint is missing. Though we get lots of blueprints every two years saying blueprint for Indian football, it's that's the last you hear of it when, when you talk about blueprint blueprint for Indian football, because actually in terms of execution, we don't see anything. So, ISL helps in unearthing players, but I'm not convinced, unless the national team performs, see, you're asking me whether it's simple, it's all based on results and execution, unless you perform, there's no point saying they will get better, because they're not showing on the field yet. No, that's,
0: uh, Sri, absolutely fascinating stuff. Uh, I, I've really learned a lot here. Armando, is there anything you want, you want to fi- ask uh, Shri here to, to, to close this section off? Because I know I wanted to, want to talk quickly about another couple of subjects over the international break. Is there anything more that you would like to ask Shri?
1: No, man, I think Shri did a fantastic job. And uh, I think uh, the listeners would have learned a lot from Sri uh, and then, and- on what's going on in India and in in the beautiful game out there. So thanks a lot, Sri. That was great, man.
0: So we'll move swiftly along. Um, I'll say Sri is going to stay with us for the next part. There was a very interesting, um, for for Armando and myself, there was a very interesting game that took place during the week there against uh, USA against Brazil. Um, And uh, the Americans actually... Made the Brazilians look like Brazilians again. I was just curious as to as to what uh, what you're thinking was about it, Armando. Uh, did you get to see the game? And because and, I thought the USA were very very poor based on uh, on what I'd seen in the World Cup, I, I was very disappointed in them.
1: Yeah, you know what? The US really struggled. They've been struggling as of late. I don't think Jurgen Kleinsman really has them uh, firing at all cylinders. Their defense is pretty shoddy. Uh, I don't know. Um, their midfield doesn't have what it takes. I don't think their attack is a little, you know, weak. Josie Altador's is their best striker, and we know we've seen Josie out there, you know, in the Premier League, and he hasn't exactly set the world alight. So I'm not too sure what's going on. Uh, but I know that Jurgen Klingsman hasn't lived up to expectation. He's getting, uh, you know, a bit of stick on this side now of the world, to be quite honest.
0: No, I hear you there, Armando. Um, I thought their defence, like, really... You know, Brazil played okay, but to be honest with you, I I think they were flattered by how bad the USA were, uh, particularly in defence. There was times the defence just just looked to crumble at any opportunity the Brazilians got. And, you know, as I say, given how they've performed in the World Cup, and and they were so good, um, to, to, to fall off... That kind of a fall
1: off in 12 months
0: must be concerning
1: in America, no? Yeah, it's a, it's a lack of stability at the back, especially. Omar Gonzalez was a stalwart there. He doesn't play as much anymore. You know, They had Brooks, and he you know, debuted in the World Cup, and he's played, but he's been shaky. They've had young players like Ventura Alvarado come in, and he's been a disaster whenever he's played. So I just think they haven't had any cohesion or any cohesiveness back there and, and, and time to gel together, and it's a constant shuffle. Even in uh, the Gold Cup, Within group games, Jurgen Klinsmann was changing the back four regularly, and that's not a you're not going to succeed with, uh, you know, constant revolution and, and rotation back there. You're going to need some stability, and that's what they're lacking the most.
0: No, and, and, and to be honest with you, I could say the same about Brazil. Um, you know, there's been a, mostly due to suspensions, injuries, that kind of thing. You know, uh, the Copa America, they were chopping and changing. We don't really know what Dungas side, I don't think Dungas had an opportunity to play as first 11 yet. But uh, certainly, um, yeah, put it like this, William of Chelsea, I, I, every time I see him play for Brazil, I just think this guy is just gets better and better and better. This guy made Hulk look like a professional footballer um, the, the other night. That's how good he was, and, and the Hulk actually scored. Um, absolutely breathtaking for Brazil uh, on, on a different level than it would be for, for Chelsea. Um, but but as I say, it's just it's just a strange one. Shree did you did you catch this game at all the USA Brazil game? Did you see any of it?
2: Not much, man. The time zone didn't help me at all.
1: But I, I want to ask you something, Shree on on Willian, and this is a great point. Willian seems to shine a lot more for Brazil than he does uh, at Chelsea, and whether it's the pieces around him or the freedom that he has under Dunga or whatever it may be, uh, I wanted to ask you, why do you think that is, Shri? Uh, Why do you think some players, and in this case, William succeeds in a sense with his national team a little bit more? Is it a freedom? Is it a role? Is it a confidence, a comfort level? What do you think that is?
2: I think, at least with some players, it tends to be the role they play. uh, In terms of when, uh, for William, he might be an out-and-out attacking midfielder at Brazil. But with Mourinho, there is always an expectation that irrespective of where you play, you should be ready to track back and track your mover. So, that doesn't... I'm not sure players like Willian actually enjoy doing it. Maybe under Mourinho, they've learned doing it. But there's a huge difference between learning to do it and actually wanting to do it. I think that would be something in the case of players like Willian. If you see in terms of Ozil, if you took, if you could take Ozil, Ozil really doesn't bother about tracking back at Arsenal. So, Wenger has let Ozil be it is and has other players like Alexis Sanchez and Kazurla. To do the tracking back duties. So, I think with William that is the problem. I think it's more of the role and the freedom he's been given at, and with Dunga is why I would say he shines. And if the comfort factor is also that maybe he's used to the surroundings at Brazil level. But if you would ask, especially for William, I would say it's the former in terms of role and freedom.
0: No, and that's a, that's a really actually a very good shout because you know Mourinho and Dunga play a completely different game of football, and, and Mourinho's a much more conservative manager, let's say. Uh, and you could have actually hit the nail bang in the head there, Sri, by 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 what you said. Um, I, I, I remember the game, and I, I keep repeating it because it was it was absolutely breathtaking football, and it was the Brazil of old, and it was Firmino, Coutinho, and and William. Um, as a three uh, and they were just they they just ripped Honduras apart at at, at times in that game but William was a standout off the three he was the standout in a way that he's never been at Chelsea you you know what I mean would you agree with me on that Normando do you think it's, it's the Mourinho factor
1: yeah, and I think what Sri said about players tracking back and having that expectation, that defensive expectation, you know, like you said, some players aren't cut out for it. They'll learn to do it, but there's there's not exactly you know a want to do it, and that affects performance. I think definitely. But if you're Mourinho but- and you
0: and you see you see William play, play at that level, are, are you so arrogant you don't see and learn and, and maybe let this guy off off the leash once in a while, or is?
1: Dave, Dave, you're asking me if Mourinho's arrogant. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, is he that arrogant was the question, not is. I
2: think, I, think Dave, Absolutely. I think Dave placed the is at the wrong spot. He shouldn't have asked, is Mourinho arrogant? He should have said Mourinho is arrogant.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> no, I'm asking the question, is he that arrogant? I mean, overly arrogant, but I think that he is, Um but 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 surely you know as football manage, managers at times just frustrate the life out of the fans because you know they're perceived as not seeing the things that we see as as sort of layman on the side. Um, but I'm I, I'm very glad in, in some respects that, that William doesn't have the the, the freedom of the park um, in the Premier League uh, because it could be quite, it could be quite bad for for, for our own <laughs> team there in that in that respect. Uh, would you agree yeah. on that one?
2: Dave, if I could just add in one more point in this situation, let's also not forget the fact, at least in Williams' case, you are comparing the English Premier League with international football. You need to consider the pace of the game. English Premier League is played at a far more frenetic pace than national football, which means that you could easily be off position, which means that you need to track back. Maybe in international football, the pace ensures that the amount of tracking back you need to do is not that much and also with the kind of people like now Coutinho is used to tracking back. Firmino, his defensive output was huge even at Half-Name. And you have Willian who's also now used no so what has happened is now you have put in three players who can do both jobs of attacking and defending. Which might not be the case at the at your club level. For example you play with Hazard, Hazard Oscar and Willian. Hazard necessarily though he started doing it he's not Cut out for defensive work as much as Willian is. So when you, if you had a choice between hazard and villain, who would you want to track back? You would obviously choose villain. I think it's also depending on who you are playing with and what they can also do.
0: No, that's, that's actually a great shout, Shri. Um, I, th- I think you've hit the nail on the head with that one.
2: Uh, we're,
0: we're going to move on then to uh, to, to Mexico, Mando, um, and they they got quite a quite a quite a good result against Argentina this week. You want to talk us through that?
1: Yeah, I mean. It was a good result in in the sense that we didn't lose, but we had them and we should have won that game. Um, I think under Tuca Ferretti, which is uh, the interim manager right now for Mexico, we don't really have an identity. He didn't call up all the players that I would have probably wanted to be called up. He, he uh, missed quite a few big moves such as, uh, you know, Gildo Santos uh, and those types of players. And I think that those are players that we really need in the side to succeed. So... I think that you know it is just an interim manager and it is just a friendly and it was good to see us not lose to Argentina, but I think there's a lot of improvement that needs to be made. There's a lot of players that don't need to be getting called up. Rafa Marquez doesn't need to be getting called up for Mexico anymore. There's no point in it. He's not going to compete in tournaments for us anymore. We should be focusing on other things. And that's the problem with having this interim manager right now Going into the big playoff with the U.S. in uh, in October for uh, the Confederations Cup, this is a problem. So the quicker we can get a, a solid manager, a full time manager, the better it'll be for us. I, you know, right now I'm not putting too many you know emphasis on on these games under an interim manager because we don't know the system that how it's gonna translate to the new manager, the players, and stuff like that. So yeah, it was nice we didn't lose and and we we scored a couple goals and that was nice, but I don't put a lot of credit into it. You know what I mean?
0: No, but uh, what, what I mean is it, it must have been sort of encouraging for you, you, you know, because you had a lot of frustrations there during the, the Gold Cup and whatnot, and, the, and there was a lot of politics around it and whatnot. Do, do you see that now as maybe moving in the right direction again, the wheels are moving at least in the right direction?
1: Yeah, and I think that's moving on from the manager that, that we had before in Miguel Herrera and, and then moving on from that regime. So I think it's a fresh start for Mexico, and I think it can help. But the quicker we get a manager in place, uh, you know, we've been rumored to get Biesla and, and managers of that ilk. That would be great, you know what I mean? And and I know for you, Dave, you've been excited with, with what's going on with Northern Ireland. I know you're dying to talk about Northern Ireland. So so let, let me have it, Dave. How, how, how are you feeling about that, Dave?
0: Well, let's say, uh, in my lifetime, we've qualified for two World Cups in 82 and 86. Uh, and thankfully, I was alive. I was old enough to, to experience them, and they were a wonderful thing. Since then, we've been in a bit of a, to, to be honest with you, just been awful, absolutely awful. We've never even looked near qualifying for anything. And we've never qualified for the Euros in, in our history. So um, we're, we're two points away from it. We're at home to Greece next. Um, we, we, we nearly lost... Um, during the week um, to Hungary. But uh, in the 95th minute, which was the last minute of the game, we managed to pull an equaliser back, gave us a point. The other result in the group went our way as well, which leaves us still top of the group. And, and you know, I get excited about it because we're a nation. You know, we're sitting here. I'm sitting in a nation of, of 200 million people. Shri in India, one of the heaviest populated countries in the world. This is a little country, just about over, well, about a, 1.2, 1.3 million people live in it. And and you, you know to be back in the football map again is is just very very exciting. As I say the thought of qualifying for such a small country, and we do have our troubles there. You know we, we have we have a lot of uh, issues still. You, you know it's tightened now. There's peace in Northern Ireland. There it, there is, but there's not. Um, and, and things like this, sport is a, is a wonderful. Um, it's a wonderful thing that brings people together within the country. And Northern Ireland qualifying for France 2016 is is going to be immense because it will bring the country together and, and, and focus uh, on, on that team. As I say, I'm just so excited about it. Uh, I, I can't wait for the next international break, and I normally, normally hate them, but uh, as I say, I'm, I'm super excited about it. And, and you've got to consider as well, you know, Wales are very, very close to getting there as well, who I really do hope, any Welsh listeners, I'm, I'm 100% behind you. Um, you. You know, the difference between Northern Ireland and, and Brazil, we we have very sort of... How we call it, mediocre squads? The difference is that Wales have Gareth uh, Bale to call on, um, and uh, you know that that's the difference. We, we're a very modest nation for, for for football, so it's a very exciting time.
2: Dave, uh, if I could ask you a question: How big was that goal by Kyle Lafferty? Ninety third minute was it? That oh, one, 95th. Point <laughs> 95th one point now. Ninety fifth minute. I think it was.
0: It, it was, oh, you've no idea. Um, as I say, I was totally deflated whenever they scored. I was even more deflated when we went down to 10 men. Um, but uh, in the spirit of 1982, we, we, we beat Spain with 10 men completely against the odds and, and we came back and got it was, it was a point that felt like a win and, and that's really been what everybody in Northern Ireland has been saying, you know, it was, a, it was a draw that felt like a win. It kept us in contention. As I said, the other result was nil-nil against uh, Romania and, and uh, Greece, which really played into our hands. It, it really, it was like a, a get out of jail free card, really. Uh, and as I say, you know, we're home to Greece next. Um, I would say we need the two points and that's assuming that everybody else wins you know the other two teams in contention they win win their ties so I, I put it like this we're in the playoffs no matter what happens but I would like to see, I don't care whether they go through as group winners or, or whatever, it, it's getting there. Um, and, and, you know, as for expectations of the tournament, if we got to, if we got out of the group, my God, it would be dreamland. Um, you know, we did it once before in 1982, whenever we got out of the group uh, in, in the first, well, it was our second ever World Cup, we were in the 58 World Cup. Um, so they say, we're a strange nation. Uh, we treat... Sort of the royalty of world football, very very badly. The Germans, the Englands, the the Spains have all suffered very badly. For you know, don't get me wrong, it, it goes both ways. But you know, the, there are freakish results that we throw up, and they are normally against uh, some of Europe's bigger teams. So uh, you you've no idea what that goal meant to You know, I was jumping around the living room here like a madman. And as I say, I'm not a huge fan of international football because I haven't had anything to shout about for so long. It, it's sort of numb, but now I do.
2: Yeah, and how, so I just said it out. So what happens if you get even one point against Greece? Are you through?
0: No, we need the two to be absolutely sure. But that's not to say if the, if, if the other game ends in a draw, a point may do. Um, you, you know, I, I do have a slight concern about them bottling it because it is, as I say, you're not dealing with, with Europe's elite players here. Um, as I say, Johnny Evans, Kyle Lafferty, are probably the two biggest names in the team. And, and, and you know, they're not, they're, they're not world beaters by any imagination. They're honest pros. They're, they're decent players. But the one thing that Northern Ireland has in its favour at the moment, and especially in international football, um, is they play as a team. They play for each other. They've got each other's backs. And that is something that's missing in international football. And that's uh, really where, you know, I think we could cause a, a, a few surprises.
2: Yeah, five points. And you're also happy with Michael O'Neill?
0: He's done a fantastic job. He started off quite slowly, Sri, um, but, you, you, you know, as I say, on a very small nation, we don't have very much success. One little glimmer of success, you, you know, um, you have Larry Sanchez there, who was the manager of Northern Ireland for years, and, and he never really achieved very much, but he beat England. And and that's all that mattered. He he's deemed a success for that because we don't really, you know, we're not really associated with with big success and qualifying for tournaments. So so we take uh, we take the, the the little victories as as we get them.
2: Brilliant, brilliant. I hope you do go through, man.
0: Well, we're,
2: we're all hoping.
0: Listen, <clears throat> we're moving on with time, gents. So uh, I think we'll move on to the top 100. And uh, we'll move to Shri as our guest. Uh, who have you chosen for our, our top 100 and, and your reasons why?
2: So today, my choice of player is someone who I wanted at Liverpool. At least I've been wanting at Liverpool for a while. And I actually thought it, w- it would happen a year or two back. And the player is now who's playing for Borussia Dortmund. He's Hendrik Mkhitaryan. He's one of my most favourite players, I would say, in recent times. A proper goal-scoring number 10 now. Uh, Nowadays, the number 10 is associated with creating assists, vision and all. But he's a number 10 who can actually properly score. And I've been tracking him from his days at Shakhtar, where he actually played as a DM, then as a CM. Then he actually progressed to attacking midfielder. His story was great. His manager actually wanted him to take in the deeper spaces on the field so that he could see what was actually unfurling in front of him. And which meant that he could his vision actually developed because he played deeper in deeper positions in defensive midfield and he's versatile enough. One of the most uh, graceful footballers, if I could call it, if you could associate grace with football nowadays. But he, he's a dream to watch and I would any day, put him in my team. Leave alone top hundred. If I name a top eleven, he's someone who would make it.
0: That is brilliant. Uh, a very, very good shout, and I couldn't disagree with you. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't complain too much of a in Liverpool at all. <laughs> Armando, who do you have for us tonight?
1: Yeah, for me, I went with E. School, an attacking midfielder for Real Madrid, the a player that I've been a big fan of since this time in Malaga. Uh, he, he has. All the skill in the world, he can score goals. He has a great eye for a pass. He can, he can, you know, skillful on the ball. esco is a fantastic player, and he's the future of the Spanish national team. I think personally, and I, that's why um, I'm nominating esco for the top 100 here.
0: No, and that's another good shout. Um, he, he's been touted to be leaving Madrid, but he he manages, to, he always manages to stay there. And as you say, he could well be the, the 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 future of Spanish football. For me, it's a gent. I have to go with this tonight. I went with Rivaldo the last time. I'm going the complete opposite end of the scale. I'm going from the, a world superstar to to just a, a good honest pro. And we've talked about him in, in the last segment there. And I'm going for Kyle Lafferty because his goals for Northern Ireland. Uh, and you know i 've explained that i 've explained the nature of of this qualification campaign and, and all i 've gone through and he 's the highest scorer of the group and he 's the highest scorer for Northern Ireland in this tournament. Uh, we do have a habit of having strikers that don 't do very well for their clubs but do very well for the national team um he can 't even get on the norwich squad at them and they're they' 're talking about loaning them out uh, but uh just for for his uh, for what he 's done in this the last two years for for the northern ireland squad i 'm going i 'm going to include Kyle Lafferty. Uh, w- with that, but listen, guys. Uh, as I say, we're nearly out of time here. I would just like to, to, to thank to, th- to thank Shree for coming on and and uh, so early in the morning for him. Uh, we really appreciate your time, and it's been been lovely to have you on, Sri.
2: Thanks, Dave. The pleasure is all mine, and great talking to you both.
0: And also, Armando, thank you very much as always for being on. My uh, you, you know my co-host. I couldn't do this without you. Many, many thanks, Armando.
1: Uh, the pleasure is all mine, and thank you, Sri, very much, man.
0: Listen, guys, before we go as well, have you any plugs for us, anything you've want? Anything
1: you got out, anything we should read uh, far away? Uh, yeah, I, I actually have an article on Sebastian LeJet out on uh, the WFI. It came out last week. If you guys can give it a read, that'd be great. He's a... Uh, you know, he's proven his point to be in the national team for the U.S., and they look like they can use a little firepower in that midfield, so he's somebody that can work there. And also, uh, the AIP channel app, make sure you guys download that, and it has a ton of great content, including a rugby pod that Dave's now host of, and uh, the 7th Inning Stretch Baseball pod that myself and uh, Justin Wells host. so if you guys want to get involved with that, you guys can follow me and Dave and get at us there as well. Um, and other than that, Sri, the floor is yours.
2: Yeah, just a couple of plugs. One is the Deuce Backs podcast, which is uh, focused on the sport of tennis, which has me and Umar as the co-hosts. So we have had one episode and we are hoping to record one soon once this US Open ends. Otherwise, uh, AI channel app is there and there are lots of articles. Mostly I should have one tomorrow post our game with the post-match ratings. I'm just praying it's not as bad as last time, though. I hope to give someone more than five this time.
0: No, here you on the uh, on the tennis pod tree. Uh, I listen to it now. I'm, I'm an occasional tennis listener, but I find it very, very entertaining, and very, very enlightening. I think Dan Rhodes is, is a revelation on there, um, and, and yourself and O'Mara were, were excellent on it as well. Listen, for me, uh, Armando's mentioned the rugby pod. We've just recorded another one this week for the Southern Hemisphere. The Rugby World Cup starting um, on Friday. Um, as I say, we're going to be maybe sometimes two pods a week uh, during the, during the pool stages. We've got most of the, the major countries covered. Uh, so if you if that's your bag, give us a listen. Uh, and also I've done an article on what I was talking about on Northern Ireland. It's on WFI. It's up there at the minute. If anybody fancies giving it a read, it gives you a little bit of the history going back to, to, to 86 through to, to present day a bit of a nostalgia piece which is what I do but listen we're out of time I would just like to thank you all for listening and we'll be back again next week Uh, and we don't know who's going to be on next week so we'll keep you in suspense but thank you for listening and it's good night from all of us.